Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is R.N. Rogerson. And I'm Melissa Politi. Today we are going to explore the archetype of the band, or the rock and roll band, or of the pop idol, the boy band, the jazz band. There's all kinds of bands, but what we're really getting at is not just music itself. We've already done an episode on music where we explore what's going on there. Music will be part of this episode, but mostly we're kind of getting at the entire package that you find in pop music, which is not just music. It's also the band. It's the person behind the music, the face of the music. It's often a narrative or backstory behind the band or the group. It can have some kind of amplified mythological structure where like people in the band can dress up a certain way. There's even examples of people in bands dressing up in a fantastical way where they're either sort of being theatrical or operatic in their outfits, or they might literally even wear costumes. There's all kinds of ways in which the band is more than just music. So we want to get into why that is, what's going on with the band, why is it more than music, and what is that thing that's behind the music, what is the archetype of the band. So when we think of the stereotypical band, quote-unquote, Alyssa, what do you think of what comes to mind? The Beatles. The Beatles. <laughs> I think I think most people would probably say that. It, it, depends, it depends what generation you're from we, we yes, might be approaching it depends on the era we might be approaching a generation when people won't say that anymore but it's not like we were like raised in the 60s or 70s yeah but we were <laughs> we were on the cusp of the internet and the internet's changed uh, things so yeah. maybe maybe bts will be the new <laughs> stereotypical band archetype that people think of it's hard to know we need a whole episode on bts by the way yeah we'll talk we'll talk about bts though in this episode a little bit yeah the beatles i think are just so quintessential because they i think were such pioneers not only musically like really kind of establishing rock music Mm -hmm. in in what it is today or, or sort of grandfathering it in um but who they were as individuals what they were as a cohesive unit, the way that they took the world by storm, hadn't there hadn't been a phenomena up until that point that was quite like that, yeah. at least with so many people, right? Mm-hmm. Like you kind of have um, certain individuals who got really popular before the Beatles, but that course, was yeah. that was I think really the first time a band, this cohesive mythological unit, carried this dynamic influence and and totally changed the world. So who were the Beatles exactly? If we, if we think the Beatles are kind of like the stereotypical archetypal band, what was that entity, the Mm. pattern of the Beatles? Who were they? John Paul, George and Ringo, the four founding core members, I guess not technically founding, they but weren't the, the founding these, members necessarily. Uh, John, John, Paul, for sure. George, there was a different drummer, but there was a secret sauce with those four. You might even say that those four <laughs> were the archetypal Beatles. That's there were true. other Beatles. There were other but Beatles. But we don't think of those as being Beatles. There was like Stu yeah. Sutcliffe. Yeah. 
uh, it was like the bassist before Paul became bassist. Yeah. And then there was like a drummer. There's another drummer before yeah. Ringo. And George Martin's kind of seen as like the fifth Beatle, you know? There's that. He's the producer. But you have a group that comes together and you reach a certain kind of balance where it's like this four works yeah. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's probably what we, want, what we want to get into is like, what is the thing that is working right. with this specific lineup? Yeah. You have four very distinct, very unique individuals who are containers for their own identity and possible projections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they each play a role in the band, AKA like they each have a different instrument. Yeah. They, uh, their differences show in both the music that's recorded and how they play live. Yet at the same time, there's a harmony between all four. Like they're, they're covering different bases. And that I think is really important when you have any sort of like a pantheon effect going on, you don't just have like three of the exact same God who would all just be warring for like, you know, control over the same domain it's like mm -mm. you have different individuals different roles different stories different personalities uh and i think another part of the beatles if you take a step out of like the mythological realm they were young they were rebellious Mm -hmm. they were very interesting like their personalities were just very compelling and they I don't know. There was they they were also all like good looking guys, you know, like they're. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were young. They're, 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 they're handsome. They're handsome. If, if you look at photos of the Beatles, I mean, we take it for granted because we, we know their faces so well. Yeah. But like Ringo's not. Oh, that, not very good looking. He's he's fine, but like he's not just like oh my god, like what it's a handsome true. man that is. Well, that that's also important. It's like you need like the kind of like slightly maybe less handsome one. Oh, okay. Uh, I see. That's that's Ringo's role in the pantheon. It's like the ugly one. No, it's like well, there's he like John it's and like, Paul look better. It's the Hephaestus principle, right? Like the, he was a wounded, not as beautiful god, but he was deformed very... god. <laughs> Isn't Hephaestus deformed? He's not. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like like goatish or something. No, he's not a goat. No, I don't know. Everyone is just so beautiful and perfect. And I don't know. Hephaestus is sometimes just like expressed in a way that he's like maybe just more normal or you know he doesn't have like a goat head or anything weird no, 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 no. or missing not. arm but he, yeah he's like a, he's a gimp or something yeah like i think he's got like a lame Anyways, leg or something it's not important but what, what you're touching upon is is key here is that the band represents a pantheon yeah. of sorts and what do we mean by pantheon we've gotten into this in multiple episodes i think specifically the episode called the pantheon mm. but that when you have a cast of characters whether that's in Game of Thrones or it's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. or um, it's Greek mythology, yeah. you know, these are touching upon different things. And yet they all have this um, landscape of what I would say is psychological projection. There's mm-hmm. different manifestations that kind of speak to different parts of our psyche. Yeah. In the sense that, like, there is a trickstery part mm-hmm. of our psychology. There is sort of a feminine maiden part of our psychology. There is a father part of our psychology. There is sort of a evil one part mm. of our psychology. Mm-hmm. And Greek mythology gets into that. And the pantheon is sort of reflecting that, right? Mm. So yeah. Zeus is sort of like the father archetype mm-hmm. because we actually have an instinct for that inside right, of us. Right, right. Because we all have fathers, it's a built in, it's human nature, but there's also sort of 
the underworld archetype, mm-hmm. which ties into the shadow. There's an aspect of us that we're trying to keep in the darkness that we're trying to repress. Maybe that we don't want to go there because it's chaotic and scary. So the Pantheon reflects different facets of the same jewel, which mm-hmm. is our, our psyche. Sure. Yeah. And the band is also doing this though. Clearly it's different. Yeah. There's not 12 Beatles. <laughs> And it's like like the twelve Olympians, right? And but, if there were, it would would that work? Well, and why? Why well, four? You know? I think it depends on the medium because you can think about the cast of Game of Thrones, as you mentioned, right, or the medium. MCU. It's mm-hmm. like a different medium, a different like narrative expression. Uh, the the pantheon and the the multiplicity of characters works, but with music, it's you don't often see like you know a whole ensemble you know, taking the world by storm. Right. That's more like for orchestra. (laughs) Right, right. The orchestra is very different though. It's very different. Because the members of the orchestra blend in. Yes. The orchestra is really one entity. Yeah. They don't really pay attention to the violinist. Unless there's like a lead violinist who stands out. And And the conductor you might pay attention to. But it's mostly like they blend into one thing right. and the music comes yeah. it comes from it's that. a cohesive voice and and bands are like that too right like just For playing sure. music in general is like you have to be in harmony with each other you have to have some aspect of where all parts come together but mm. i think what made the beatles as we continue with this example so popular was that they were so distinctly different mm-hmm. you know uh, John is like the intelligent one or like, you know, the, the rebellious one. And yeah, George the, the was edgy one. the edgy John's one. John's kind of like the the punk rock before there was punk rock. Yes. He's the guy who's <laughs> kind of like sticking out his tongue at you and yeah. saying things like, you know, essentially that like there is no God and yeah. everything's meaningless. Right. So he's like, he's like very edgy, very psychedelic. Yeah. And uh, Paul's very sweet and kind of cute. And I think they called him like the cute one, which is kind of weird, but. Uh, yeah, he was alright. George is the quiet one, the dark horse, right? Um, and Ringo's like the funny one, like the clown. He's like in Hard Days of Night, right? Like it's the whole story is about him, and he gets kidnapped or something. He gets a ring stuck on his finger, <laughs> and the ring belongs to some cult. And the Beatles are like running away from a <laughs> '60s cult. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. We, we've uh, we've been playing, we've been talking about watching it again, but yeah. But yes, Ringo is kind of like. Uh, the punchline, right, the butt right. of the joke in some ways. He, right. ha- he has some comedic yeah. uh, pull. Right. So the point is that they had these distinct containers where individuals, groups of people could project all of this dynamic, interesting material because the look, because the way they talked, the way they played their instruments, you know, the types of songs each of them sang were very different a unique expression was coming from each of them. And yet it blended together into this like harmonious, beautiful, like, you know, masterpiece at that time. Right. Right. It, the, it, the parts and the gestalt yeah, are, yeah, yeah. it's both. And yes, it's right? both they're and. distinct individuals yeah. that each have their own, uh, mythological container mm-hmm. that people fill up readily. Yeah. Like they just go crazy yeah. over each one of them, some more than others. Yeah. Um, but at the same time they are, a entity together they yeah. are a gestalt yeah the beatles themselves the beatles itself you yeah. might say is very powerful right but each of them alone is also very compelling yeah and it's the relationship between that the gestalt and the parts yeah. is so 
Interesting. Yeah. Just to contrast this, you know, in the 60s, girl groups were really big with like three or four members, all female. So you have like the Ronettes or the Crystals or the Supremes, the Marvelettes. And although that type of music was really popular, the feeling and the type of popularity and the relationship, I think, from the collective to those bands were really different because each of those members didn't necessarily have very, very distinct personalities. There might have been one individual who kind of like rose up out of it. Um, like the Ronettes, you have Ronnie Spector. Mm-hmm. Like she really was the center. She, you don't necessarily, unless you're a big music buff, know much about the other members or pay as much attention to them. She kind of like rose out of that to be more of the um, well-known, the more popular individual. But there's something else about, I think, when the harmony of the band, maybe I should be really young again about this, when the archetype is really powerfully constellated, I think it's when each of those members are working within a pantheon dynamic and then something really, really powerful happens. Right. So another way you could illustrate this is that having the band seem unified mm. is really powerful, but also having the individuals be distinct yeah. is really powerful. And there's a balance between the two. Mm. And so, for example, the Beatles, for a little while at least, they all wore suits, mm-hmm. matching suits. Mm-hmm. And what's the point of that? It's like, well, the point is that they look like a unit. They're all coming together to do the same thing at the same time. It could also look like doing choreography at the same time, um, singing in unison. Yeah. It's like seeing multiple individuals in unison is powerful. But at the same time, if everyone is exactly the same, right? that's not Which as interesting. the girl groups were like the haircuts were the same, right. the dresses were the same. The same thing with the Beatles, right. but they broke that mold. Right, right. You know? So it's almost like if... The people putting together these girl groups, let's say, mm-hmm. and maybe it depends on the group, but there could be some men behind it. Oh, yeah, like Phil managing. Spector as an example. Right, right. But they, they, if they could, they might want to just clone right. each of the singers. And be Replaceable, like, right. swap and just have the like next four person. of the exact same thing singing. Right. And then with the Beatles, that unison is compelling, but you can mess with that and say, well, what if we're all pretty united mm. but everyone has their own personality yeah so if you look at like uh you know the cover of abbey road uh-huh. or walking across the yeah. street and the four of them have clearly gone in different directions yeah. you know it's like yeah. george is wearing like all denim and has like a yeah. really long beard and long hair <laughs> and then uh compared to john john is wearing like a white suit mm. but he also has really long hair and a long yeah. beard and so there's this way in which like the four of them right. have all evolved yes but they're still together right they evolved together that they did very well and also apart from each other at the same time so that as they got more psychedelic all of their looks got more psychedelic they all started growing out their hair they all were like attending kirtans with george and getting into indian philosophy yet distinct differences and you don't see that when the pop machine is trying to curate an experience that like, this is all like the same being that's just sort of part of a group. And I think that is part of what diverged the Beatles um, into being what they were. And it reminds me too of like the Beach Boys also coming up at that time Mm, who had like a similar dynamic when, you know, early albums, they're just singing covers. Um, They all have the same look. And then they all start to change a little bit. Not quite as much as the Beatles, I would say. Maybe like 
core members like Brian and Dennis and Carl, um, Mike Love or something, they start having pretty nuanced changes. Yeah. But um, I think it's a really important part. It's like the Pantheon has to be made up of members that carry their own um, unique container. And that is an important relationship. Right, right. So again, the gestalt and the parts yeah. working in unison. Yeah. You actually find this pattern in everything if you examine it. There's like, there's parts of something but they are all part of a whole mm. and it's both at the same time yeah. it's both the whole and the parts and the, that relationship between the two the control and the parts is actually what is makes the thing what it is and can be very compelling in art um but the beach boys are a good example to bring up just as far as getting into the mythology again mm -hmm. right the beatles they're tapping into this like godlike pantheon energy <laughs> yeah. but but the beach boys are a good example of having a really serious intentional myth about them which is like, here's a bunch of California boys. <laughs> and what do they do? They hang out at the beach and they surf yeah. and they drive fast cars oh and they like, and they like girls. <laughs> and like, that's like, it's very intentional, right? right? It's like, we want an image. Yeah. We want a specific story. Mm. What is this band? Is it just their music? It's like, no, it's the boys from the beach. And look yeah. at them. They're wearing these beach clothes and look, they have a surfboard. They're all right, carrying one right, surfboard. Right. Here they are in their like beach going car at the beach, yeah. California, Los Angeles. Uh -huh. And all that, you know, it doesn't sound like it's a myth at first, but right. it really is. It's yeah. not that much different from like a fictional universe yeah. of like Lord of the Rings or like a sci-fi universe. Mm -hmm. It's like there's this fantasy. Yeah. Los Angeles. And <laughs> if you're from California like we are, maybe it's like, mm, it's like pretty mundane. But you can imagine if someone was like in India. Yeah. And yeah. the Beach Boys, this sort of Los Angeles beach life really right. would be a story. It's yeah. just a fantasy. Yeah. And they're tapping into that very much. So that's yeah. like another aspect of the band. It's not just music. Yeah. It's true. It's the image. It's the story. It's the mythology. Yeah. And the Beach Boys especially, you know, their songs, again, they start in this way with like, you know, let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how, mm -hmm. like surfing USA. Yeah. And then they kind of, Brian Wilson kind of, you know, goes off in a different direction and becomes more psychedelic and mm -hmm. kind of, he loses his mind in some ways, but he creates um, pet sounds. Yeah. Which is like very experimental. And yeah. So there is kind of this evolution that happens away from the beach the boys of the beach mm -hmm. myth into mm -hmm. something different but the mythology is is really important there yeah um, it brings to mind when bands start to deviate from their mythology and sometimes that's really powerful when it just seems to flow and then other times it's like kind of catastrophic where it's just like this band is just made a totally different sound or their album, you know, their follow-up is just not as good and they're trying all this weird stuff. Yeah. There's, I don't know what it is or what is like the pattern behind the experience that where it's like, sometimes it just feels like those things can evolve naturally. And then other times it can feel really forced or just unnatural. Yeah. And I think that's where you see like, you know, oh, a band that you thought was going to do really well and keep growing. It's just like, they make weird decisions or maybe they keep trying to hammer in the same pattern and you're just like, it's kind of lame at this point. So yeah. it's very nuanced in that way. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example of a band that like pivoted pretty hard and like either succeeded or failed. Yeah. Well, I think like the Bee Gees pivoted really hard and it was a oh, success. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. If, if anyone has not listened to the Bee Gees first album, which is called first. Yeah. But the Bee Gees, 
before they were the sort of stereotypical Saturday Night Live. Right. Sorry, like, um, Saturday Night Fever. Sorry, yeah. Dis- uh, disco, disco Kings. Band, oh, and my where God. Where they kind of invented this new sound almost. And, like, you know, he's oh, yeah. singing falsetto. Yeah. Um, most people listening probably know the song Staying Alive. Of course, But, like, yeah. it's a very distinct sound. And before that, if you listen to their earlier stuff, because they had been a band since they were children, essentially. Mm-hmm. But the, their earlier stuff is just sort of, like, 60s yeah. pop Um you know, kind of like, uh, not the Beach Boys exactly, but kind of like the, the Turtles and mm. the Kinks mm. and having trouble thinking of good examples. Yeah. But they were, they were very, they were different. Yeah, they were very different. And then they pivoted yeah. with disco and created this whole new sound and well, it worked for them. It also speaks to like having a sort of pulse on the collective because like <laughs> these sort of generational changes in music or like decade changes in music is like that can be a really difficult weird place to navigate i'm gonna Mm. keep talking about the beatles but like if you follow george as like a solo artist when he releases all things was passed it's like oh my god this is incredible all Mm. this material that the beatles didn't use then he keeps going then you get to like 80s you know is even all the members i feel it's like as you try to like adapt to these changes it doesn't always work you know, like yeah. Cloud Nine, Weird George. Anyways, I'm not going to get into the details, but... You can look up the <laughs> album cover of Cloud Nine. Oh, George. I love George so much. I've already talked yeah. about him. But um, it just goes to show you that there's like there's these greater patterns that are at work. And if a band finds themselves at the right place at the right time and kind of follows these like unseen changes, suddenly you get like launched and... The Bee Gees, I think, did that. They were like the quintessential 70s disco band. And they did not start that way. Yet they kind of tapped into something. Like they channeled something. And they became a powerful trio. Yeah. One other example. It probably isn't very good because most people don't know this reference. But like Blink-182, for instance. Mm, mm they had a mythology yeah they were juvenile young boys <laughs> playing music about how juvenile they were right and okay their songs are about like being in high school and dating girls and getting dumped by those girls and like playing pranks on those girls yeah. and kind of doing this sort of like whiny skate punk it, kind it, of it's thing it's a little angsty it's angsty <laughs> but it's like it's just like really immature but in a kind of comical way like yeah, they're just like goofballs right. they were very goofy yeah. um and it worked for them and i think blink honestly blink way too i think it's a great band mm-hmm. like i don't care what people say um <laughs> uh, but tom delonge who was their guitarist he decided to kind of go uh solo and start a different band right and he started a band and he wanted to be taken seriously mm. and he really wanted to make serious music that mm. like it's not a joke it's not juvenile it's like it's serious music about serious stuff and it's like you know it's supposed to be like really beautiful and heartfelt and it just like was such a joke it was like this is terrible to you like no one believes you yeah like no one believes that you're a serious artist you're you're a comedian and trying to be serious it's not gonna work sorry Mm. and so he tried to kind of like change his myth and he failed right it's embarrassing anyways there's probably plenty more examples of, of this sort of like the mythology changing. It makes me think of actors, even though we're not talking about right, that right. today, but like especially certain actors who like are not as mercurial, AKA yeah. like kind of fluidly moving through all different types of role, Yeah, you know, and they're like 
a kind of certain type of comedic actor or yeah. whatever, and then they try and do something serious. You know, like Adam Sandler doing a serious movie is just like, oh, this is really hard to take, you know? Yeah. Or... Is there, I mean, is there an example of him in a serious movie? I feel like he's always in a comedic role, even if the movie's more serious. recently there was something on Netflix. That... He was in Uncut Gems mm-hmm. recently, which was like a serious movie, but yeah. he still like plays himself, which is just sort of like this old loser, <laughs> basically. It's a great movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, a good example is like Ashton Kutcher is okay, like right. that 70s show mm-hmm. and he's like, a comedic actor punked after that right wasn't he, he did, the... yeah he did punked but like he he's he's been in some serious movies yeah and it's kind of like ashton like i just don't take you seriously yeah. like you can't be in a drama because right. you're fucking ashton kutcher like you're, just, you're like you are a comedian i can't yeah. take you seriously if you're like in a scene like crying like i don't believe you it doesn't right. work because my myth of ashton kutcher is so cemented mm, already right and it's like you can't switch your myth yeah Anyways, we, we digress quite we a bit. Digress. Let's try to get back to the sort of Jungian um, aspect of this. So the pantheon, the godliness, mm. the, that's part of the idea of it being a pantheon is like these aren't just humans. Right. right? These right. are figures that are being lifted up yeah. to the realm of gods. Yeah. So yeah. there's a kind of um, apotheosis, which means like ascending mm-hmm. to, to a god. Mm-hmm. Um part of that is natural people Mm. want to do this people Mm. want to raise people up to gods people want to follow celebrities and project all this really powerful material onto them like uh you know brad pitt walks by and like no one needs to tell you to worship him Mm. you just kind of do right like if i saw brad pitt walking by i would be like holy shit that's brad pitt yeah what the fuck and i'd want to follow him and i'd want to be like is that really him and i'd want to get like you know, really examine him and be like, oh my God. And if like, if I could talk to him, I probably would. And that's natural. Right. And I'm not, it's not like I'm a, you know, a, a fanboy of Brad Pitt, but like the, or the, are you? or am I, <laughs> but the, but, but you can't deny the effect of the celebrity. Right. It's like, we don't treat them as humans. We treat them as gods. Yes. The same way that we would maybe treat Zeus as a god. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the difference is the type of pressure and like unseen, like psychic energy that a human carries when they're being treated like a god is why I think you see such destruction in both the music and entertainment industry right. as a whole, where it's like, these people are given too much power. Yeah. They don't know how to hold all these projections. Right. Who, When you're being treated like a god, you are a human that is in the realm of the archetypes, and that's yeah. like never works out very well. Unless you know how to handle it. And if you're really good at handling it, you can make a lot of money. Well, and you probably know. you've got like tons of very strict boundaries, a good support system. Yeah. You have, um, you're mediating that experience in a way that it's not like causing really intense overinflation. Yeah. Because most of the time you see individuals who just burn out like this beautiful star that just totally fizzled, you yep. know, or it's like, what is the 27 club made of right. actors and musicians people who were treated like gods. Um, So there's this nature that we have inside of ourselves. There's this impulse to find the divine, to locate this sense of um, the kind of of like supraordinate principle outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think specifically music and art in general is so powerful because it hits us in this non sort of literal way. Like we don't need to just 
only read the lyrics or have someone tell us what this song means. It's like a whole experience that's being mediated through sound, through word, through emotion, through the imagery of the band. It's like this multi-sensory experience that really kind of, uh, I don't know, transports you to somewhere else. And, yeah. and that is a religious experience. Right. Returning to the Beatles, the Beatles stopped playing live after 1965, 1966. Pretty because it was, very it was too early crazy. in their career. And my, my dad told me that he went to their last live show. Wow. Which was a cool thing to do. But, um, but you can see the effect is like they they could not hold the projection mm. of godliness. Yeah. Um, in many ways it worked to their advantage because they, they capitalized on it and they became super famous and they changed the world because of those projections. Mm. But when they actually appeared in the real world, when they did shows, the mob was too insane right, and they right. were just like, we can't, we can't do this. So they just became a studio band. Yeah. That very, very rarely made like, you know, like, like the famous rooftop rooftop performance. Yeah. That's a live show, but that was like, you know, that, only happened a few times, I think, in their career after yeah. 1965, 1966, yeah. something like that. And excuse me if I have the date wrong. I don't, I don't really know the history that specifically. But with the band, um, there's, it's not just a pantheon in this in, in the Greek mythological sense. There's sort of there's the youth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's the rebelliousness. Yeah. Um, there's kind of like the revolting against the culture of the adults, sure, the old sure. culture. It's rebelling against sort of like consumerism and conformity and mm-hmm. sort of rigidity, Yeah, which is young people are probably always every generation kind of manifesting this energy of Absolutely. like wanting to break free yeah. of the old world of their parents. Um, and there's a, there's a sex to it. Mm, and like yeah. the, the, the band, the archetype of the band and the archetype of the pop idol in general yeah. is just, there's a lot of, libido right. being thrown at it in the, yeah. in the in the Freudian sense let's say of like sexual energy sure it's being projected at the Beatles for instance and that's why they would have concerts and you know the young women very specifically would just lose their mind yeah. screaming yeah and they would pass out from screaming yeah. so much and there's videos of this you can look up of just like they're just they're falling into a trance mm. and it's a like romantic sexual trance. Yeah, it's like very like, Dionysian, oh right? It's yeah. like this ecstatic state of yeah. like, it, it's like orgasmic. It's overloading, overflowing with energy and the feeling of being in the presence like of the gods, yeah. you know, totally makes you lose your mind. Right. Um, and I think even to a lesser extent, when I've been to shows of bands that I really love, it's like, it's powerful. You know, I'm not like screaming my head off and throwing my bra across, you know, the stage, but it feels like something else is here Mm -hmm. and bands, I think even more so than other types of, of sort of, you know, artistic creative acts can channel that energy in yeah. a way that is like a very powerful tool. And when you right. understand it, you know, you can like weave that story or like work with that, you know, your audience in a way that right. is like unlike any other. Right. So the archetype being tapped into is sort of youthful courtship mm. mating ritual. This is not true for all pop acts, but not, you can see it's yeah, rock and all. roll. Definitely. I mean, there's a reason again, you have like young women passing out at concerts because they're mm-hmm. screaming so much. That was really like, 
at, in the sixties, I don't think that really happens quite as much because it's not so explosively, yeah, uh, unrepressed sexual energy. Right, being I think released that's a big part 60s. of it. Yes, that's part of it. Yeah. But you can see this in that um, the notion of the groupie mm. is a real thing. Sure, like it's like women who will sleep with the band, yeah, just because they're rock stars. Right. Yeah. Like you don't even know them, right. and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like you just like have me, take yeah. me. It's yeah. like okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, there's also sort of the aspect that like when bands kind of get old mm. quote unquote which has changed over time but you know if you're like a pop act in the 60s by the time you're in your 40s no one really cares anymore mm. except the people who like you for nostalgia <laughs> it's like well i remember them when i was young and i still like i still love right. to see the rolling stones even though they're in their 70s now right. because they remind me of like when i was young right. whereas like young people today it's like they don't really care about the rolling stones right. even though they still like perform live mm. it's like they're old yeah where's the sex right it's like Mick jagger's not sexy anymore yeah. to a 20 year old right even right. though maybe he is sexy to a 70 year old like, right Still, it, it recalls to mind how my mother would tell me how she was so in love with David Cassidy, who was like a teenage heartthrob mm. singer, yeah. and to this day, still like you know has this feeling of like I support him, I think he's amazing, you know. Uh, there, it, the connection is still there, even though he's an old man. And I'm like, yeah, David Cassidy's cool, like you know, we could play one of his songs if I'm, I'm like, all right, but like, yeah. I don't feel the energy. Mm-hmm. But there are other bands or other, you know, pop acts definitely who are who are going to uh, energize and activate more of that within me. Right. So there's those are archetypes that are being activated. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, excuse me, but that's like that's why it's kind of hard to put your finger on. Yeah. What is this archetype exactly? Like why yeah. four or five guys? Right. Right. What's the deal with that? And, um you know, what exactly is like the romantic archetype or the mm. sexual archetype or mm-hmm. the courtship ritual right. of some kind. I mean, obviously you can, you could think of like an evolutionary sort of um, pattern here of like the, the young men coming of age in the tribe and like they're throwing off the shackles of the adults mm. and like, and that's so sexy and like it's sexy cause it's, a, it's evolutionarily adaptive. Mm. Like the young men who like clearly possess some power clearly have some competence they're going to make good tribe leaders sometime someday Mm. and they're together and they're a team and they're unified you can see how that's like evolutionarily adaptive and that's kind of breaking down things into a a way that seems kind of you know reductively biological but i think it's true that they're harnessing that evolutionary adaptation Mm. of like the the up and coming younger generation of men who wield culture very well Mm. and music is culture, right? Just the way you might wield language really well and be a poet and, or you might wield, um, being a really good athlete really well, Mm -hmm. like being physically, it's all this kind of like wielding the power of a God. It's like a highly competent, hyper competence. Um, there's also just like the, the electric instruments, Mm those are like you know the fact that you could pluck a string and it can blast it through a stadium of yeah. eighty thousand people yeah and just be loud enough to like break someone's eardrums yeah it's like that's kind of godlike yeah like, that's a zeus's thunderbolt right there yeah. it's like the power chord <laughs> on stage wow. at a stadium just yeah. like, <laughs> it's like the electronic <laughs> amplification is godlike yeah. and having four young men who can wield that power of the gods it's really yeah. powerful 
Well, you know, I'll scale back a little bit as someone who um, is a musician, but yeah. started learning a little bit late, like in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And the feeling of like going to see a show and seeing a band playing always like was magic to me. Yeah. Even though I had this interest in music, I like dabbled a little in learning guitar. I didn't really seriously start learning until I was like 21. Mm-hmm. And there was something that felt like this weaving of some sort of power that like didn't make sense, even though it makes sense. It's actually not too hard to like be able to play a song together ultimately. But I, re- I just remember having these experiences being in the crowd and feeling like in total awe that a band could like be so in sync. Mm-hmm. The power of the instruments, absolutely. Although there's some like dynamic haunting beauty to like an acoustic set, you no, know, sure. in, in the sure. way that that can come through. Yeah. But, you know, like the, the electrified rock and roll style band, it's just like, there was, there's just something really, I don't have the words for it. I guess you can tell like it's, it was hard to, to feel like I understood what was happening logically. I just couldn't like put, you know, my mind around it. And yeah, then, I mean, it's not rational. Yeah. And so that carried something that was like, there was like a draw and I was like, I want to figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. Like I want to wield that power. Yeah. I want to know how to be so in tune with people. And it's different as someone myself who also was in like played athletics all of my life. It's like, yeah, like the sports team is also really in sync. And I think if you get to us, if you play a certain sport and you play at a certain level that you can have a really incredible almost like unspoken connection where you're in sync together yeah but to me music like forces that at like every level because if you guys are totally off you know like you sound like crap and you're just like uh, the experience is totally doesn't doesn't stop a lot of bands (laughs) i will tell you i mean you know this as people involved in a music scene yeah for a while it's like man there's so so much bad music out there so many terrible bands trying their best they're trying their best and like more power (laughs) to them but yeah i mean bands that aren't in sync will still go on stage and you're just like oh god this is embarrassing yeah it's it's like almost painful for me i'm just like i wish i could help you but you know um i mean it's been me at points too I'm just like, we're yeah, not in sync. This is embarrassing. I've played some really bad shows. Yeah, I've played some really, really bad shows. Sometimes <laughs> intentionally, but mostly unintentionally. Oh, man. Um, I think the point is there's just, there's there's magic. There's magic just flowing all around the band, the archetype of the band. It's the image. It's the sound. It's how synchronous they are. It's their ability to be both individual and a unity at the same time. And that I think creates something that could have such an impact, be such a force of cultural uh, evolution as music has been. Right. And there is, again, that full package idea Mm -hmm. is like, it's not just the music. Yeah. It's not just the image. Mm. It's not just the mythology it's not just the youth. It's right. not just the content of like anti-establishment sure. sort of uh, rhetoric in the lyrics or whatever. Um, it's all those things at once. And then beyond that, there's mm-hmm. mystery to it. Music is super mysterious. Yeah. It's like, you, you, I mean, I'm not saying you can't explain what's happening. 
on a scientific on a scientific level because in some ways you kind of can but like for the most part it's like we don't really understand like why music is the way it is yeah why is music so unique um music as far as like audio patterns it's mm-hmm. like uh variations in like air pressure in some sense is like what music is but it's like but why does it come to us in such an embodied emotional feeling way mm. even more so than i would say that movies do movies are kind of the same thing the music is much more acute yeah of like you want to move like your body is undulating now yeah. like what the fuck is that like well i think there's also the level where music is so accessible or it it kind of partners with us throughout our life and movies can be very powerful and they can tell these dynamic stories and they can tap into archetypal patterns yada 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 true but you're not like watching a movie as you're driving across the country for the first time on your like road trip as you know an 18 year old if you drive a tesla now you have a screen in your car for sure (laughs) or like the album like that you fell in love to you know or you know a a heartbreak album or the music you listen to when you're really sad yeah it's like this way in which music can translate and mediate these different experiences to us on these different sensation based levels um but also like very uh sort of non-concretely Right. as well so i think in that way it's just like i don't know music is super magical for that reason yeah it's very personal yeah and makes people very nostalgic and anchors you to a certain point in life and that's why when someone can wield that you know it's like oh you actually like speak directly to my heart yeah yes yes exactly and that's like, it's like who actually who can actually do that yeah like that is that is the realm of gods right yeah like the place that you hold those highest deities are like the things that often like strike you the most, or of course family and loved ones. But even then they're not like creating art to serve you. They're hitting you in different ways. But you know, I feel like people always say like the music really speaks to me, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it gave context for something that I didn't know how to process. Yeah. And that just even as like a psychological experience is, um, I don't know. It's, it's priceless. Yeah. You can also understand why, um, you know, probably in, in, in the kind of early consciousness days, not early consciousness, but like 3000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, there's a state of consciousness that humans were at that, that isn't where they are right now. And it's hard for us to really fathom what that mm-hmm. even means. But just for example, um, a lot of different states of consciousness, different states of experience, people, they, they couldn't make sense of it other than to say that it was the gods affecting them. Sure. Which yeah. is why there are certain gods associated with certain states mm-hmm. of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Of like, if you were feeling angry, yeah. you were possessed by a god of some kind. Or if you were uh, drinking mm. spirits, right? The word spirits for alcohol. You're filling yourself with spirits and you're getting drunk because the gods are possessing you in some sense. And so you can understand why music also has this kind of religious connotation of Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. language of the transcendent language of the gods kind of, but like there's a reason that the music is so strongly associated with religion Mm -hmm. and has such a huge part to play in all of our um, religious practices. Right. Actual like songs of worship and you know, things that are played during yeah. mass or mm-hmm. those, uh, yeah, that's like a whole other section to get into. No, it is. But, 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 but the point that I'm trying to make is, is that 
music is religious and yeah. a lot of the patterns we're saying, again, we're, we're synthesizing these things all the time in all of our conversations, but the patterns we're saying, which are mythological, which are, um, involving symbol and narrative and mm-hmm. people, uh, collecting together to follow something. Yeah. Like if you want to talk about like religious patterns, the Beatles were a religion. The yeah. pe- people that gathered together to attend performances mm. of music, that's a religious gathering. Sure. And the kind of industry that we see now in music where you have certain fans that follow certain bands and these bands might even be rivals and they might have like <laughs> a sort of like, right. what's the word, titan, titanmancy or what was the word for the, the, the war uh, that the Olympians had with the titans? Uh Titan, something, I don't remember. Anyway, something like there's a word for it, but there's like a, a <laughs> clash of the gods. Clash of giants. A clash of giants. It's like, that's like Oasis versus Blur. It's like you have like these gods that are clashing right. and Blur, the band has like their, their own followers, their own acolytes, their own subjects. And then mm. Oasis has like their own followers of their religion. And then like, they're going to like a religious war, right. et cetera. So these, these patterns are very religious yeah it it brings into mind like the type of polarization we see in the political sphere right now but that same type of polarization is like (laughs) i'm just thinking okay a really silly but very real example is like backstreet boys versus nsync it's like you're on one side or you're on the other right like you love the one band and you rep them really hard or you rep the other like that's kind of a silly example but it's sort of true yeah. Um, also makes me think of Twilight, where it's like, are you like Team Edward or right. Team Jacob? It's true. And it's like, these are yeah. fictional characters and they're gods. Right, right. Edward yeah. Cullen, Edward Cullen the vampire, uh-huh. is a god. And yeah. He has a fan club, right. even though he doesn't exist. <laughs> and it's like, we're going up against like Team Jacob. like, yeah. And that's like, that's very strange, but like, that's a religious pattern. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a religion for young teenage women right so probably it is yeah no it's true and you see those same types of the energetic fervor where people feel so wholeheartedly committed to something that represents this like dynamic experience and pattern you know and whether that's you know uh NSYNC or Backstreet Boys or even like kind of rise of disco maybe against more like grunge rock or punk or stuff stuff like that it's like you people feel deeply passionate it brings up an assortment of very intense emotions for them and the type of commitment that they're going to feel um is is highly religious in nature which is like look around and you'll see it not only in music you'll see it in other places as well it's important to make the point that, you know, the band is not just five young men who are sexy. There's obviously lots of different forms of music groups. Yeah. And we'd be leaving out a huge portion of this conversation if we didn't sort of acknowledge that. Definitely. And like a good example might be the Spice Girls. Yeah. Which were huge. Yeah. They were huge I and think... they were five women. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's I, like, I, well, the archetype doesn't fit because it's, right. well, it's like, well, okay, we have to expand this notion of the archetype of the band. Right. Yeah. Well, I think what we see, especially with an example like the Spice Girls, which to my understanding, they are considered the best-selling girl group of all time, the biggest British band since the Beatles, mm-hmm. um, like just untouched in their, in their level of popularity. 
as also tapping into that archetype of the pantheon. Like, let's break it down. You know, five individuals with very distinct personalities. Right. Let's be really intentional about that. Yeah. Let's even give them very. different names. Yes. Yes. They have code names. Yeah. Like Posh Spice, yeah. Baby Spice, Sporty right. Spice, Scary Spice, and Ginger, Ginger Spice. Ginger Spice, right. Which one are you? Right. Which one are you? Because not only do you kind of relate to like, yeah, like John's kind of rebellious. I like the Beatles. I'm sort of rebellious too. It's like, no, no, no. The Spice Girls cultivated something that could hit on so many different aspects in a very powerful way so Mm -hmm. that the image was deeply cultivated you know every time you go to a show you might expect ginger spice to be like wearing like the british flag top or posh spice is going to be in like her fashionable clothes and things like that um and the way that they talk you know the way that they come off in interviews it's not just the look it's not just the music it's it's the whole experience and yeah. my understanding is like they they played a big role in that they weren't just this like curated pop band who was forced into these um these sort of containers it's kind of how it started but yeah. they, they took the reins themselves yeah. and they negotiated on their behalf because they knew they were hot stuff yeah and they did i believe I did, they did have a hand in at least writing their own songs mm-hmm. um they got help i think um, yeah. but still powerful force, powerful archetypal force. And it's a feminine thing. It's yeah. A very it's thing. all about girl power. Yeah. That's like the big thing. Right. And, and it's not really mirrored. Like, you know, the Beatles like have like all these young women who are mm-hmm. screaming their heads off. You didn't go to a Spice Girl show and see all these young men screaming their heads off. Right. It's like, well, right. It's not, it's not the mirror image. It's, it's not like, the it's mirror. like the, the women still like the Spice Girls, but True. it's more like they're projecting some sort of becoming. Yeah. I could become like them, these yeah. empowered women. Yeah. These independent women that are singing these songs about being empowered. Yeah. Um, they're still young and sexy, mm-hmm. obviously, because yeah. you want to be young and sexy. You can see yourself like wanting to become young and sexy, mm-hmm. not just sleep with young and sexy. Yeah. Yeah. But the uh, the feminine archetype is sort of being activated in them. Yeah. Um, the same way these different archetypes are being activated in different groups mm-hmm. because they don't all fit into the mold. The stereotypical rock and roll band, let's say, is the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. But you have other strange things like, um, you know, the trio. You have like power trios, mm-hmm. kind of like um, Muse or Cream think was a a trio with eric clapton Mm. um and then you know you have the 60s girl groups which were um again like groups of girls that were they were singing and they're they're kind of again activating a different archetype yeah and so kind of mapping them onto this notion of the pantheon you can have this kind of thing where you know maybe the beatles are sort of activate activating this sort of kind of like uh Dionysus or Apollo mm. archetype almost like yeah. the young beautiful male right but the women bands you know because I think you could say especially of looking at the last few decades that like the realm of rock music has been like a man's world mm-hmm. and that then you have these women who will break through that and become like extremely popular or incredibly powerful Sometimes it's like just single performers. Yeah. Um, like Linda Ronstadt, I think, is like one of the biggest like stadium artists. For and sure. one of the first female musicians to really start selling out stadiums. But, yeah. you know, she wasn't really doing the Pantheon thing. 
Um, no, well, she's an individual. Right. But still there's like... She's her own goddess. There's kind of yeah. like, <laughs> like Athena thing going on or like a Sophia, like mm, feminine wisdom. Yeah. It doesn't map on perfectly. Yeah. But... Well, I would think that if you look at some of these like classic... Um, maybe, especially I think in the eighties is when you start to see some like really dynamic, all women rock groups, very specifically like the Go-Go's or the Bangles or the Runaways, they are tapping into that kind of feminine empowerment that is very strong and very warrior like, you know, uh, but still very feminine. So they're like playing with a lot of those different archetypes. The the Runaways, especially. Yes. Very, very, very yeah that was yeah certainly like the first first steps in like the female punk scene which you then see develop more into the 90s Mm -hmm. um but that's like that's very warrior like that's you know the the archetype of athena um as more of this goddess who isn't connected to men or being married into or having children but is like a warrior playing in a man's realm but sort of having the upper hand, I think is, is a similar type of archetypal structure and individuals can see that men or women mm-hmm. and feel really drawn to it so that, you know, it might give, uh, you know, a young girl, a feeling of uh, a, po- a potential towards a, a feminine empowerment. Right. And I think for, for men, it might make them respect that they can hang in this realm, especially if we think about things in this more, old school ways like in the 80s did you have like a bunch of women playing rock and roll bands like you didn't like they were they were creating new ground you Mm -hmm. know they were shifting that paradigm but they're they're utilizing a little bit of different structures and some of them are a little bit more i would say like aphrodite in nature a little bit more like feminine a little bit more like into the beauty uh like the bangles or the go-go's might be a little bit more in that realm versus like the runaways um and the Spice yeah. Girls are like all of it. The, I the think girl, the girl rock bands are doing something that's a little more androgynous. Sometimes, than, yeah. Than the pop star. Well, definitely compared right, I mean, to like the pop star. Britney Spears. Right. That's like, like, is she doing that's, an androgynous thing? That's like, full no. Aphrodite, you know. But like the Go-Go's, <laughs> like they're rocking out. Yeah, they're and rocking they're like, out. They're playing the boys game. We got the beat, you know. Right, right. Yeah. And it's like girls playing their own instruments. For like, sure. Well, that's, the, that's what <laughs> boys do. Yeah. And so there's that kind of like that crossing over. And again, yeah. you have like the kind of Hermes thing going on where it's kind of like True. it's more shape-shifting. Right. I like this. Yes, we're getting into that more um, mysterious like androgynous realm where like you can kind of hold a masculine position and do it in a feminine way yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about Bowie in our Hermes episode. David Bowie for sure. Um, is like the like Hermes yeah. musician. I would say Michael Jackson also mm-hmm. like very androgynous. Yeah. Um, but you know, someone like Britney Spears, like there is more of that kind of Aphrodite. Yeah. Because right. she's like, she's young and sexy. Right. And it's like, Christina you know, Aguilera. Christina Aguilera. Like, Jeannie hey, in a bottle. Baby, one more time. It's like, yeah. that's not, a boys thing no. it's like very much like schoolgirl, right right um but you can see i mean you know we're just kind of doing this for fun but you can see the ways that we're kind of like mapping again there's the whole the band itself is a pantheon mm-hmm. but the entire landscape of pop music is, is itself a pantheon yes. and if you were going to have like a mural full of like the biggest stars in pop music ever yeah you'd have a pantheon there mm. and you'd have all these different figures that <laughs> fit and like you know it's like david bowie might be there britney spears might be there i guess but you would say like, are they the same thing? It's like, right. no, they're fulfilling different archetypes, yeah. which is yeah. why they fit onto this mural, mm. like the landscape of pop music. Um, 
and you know, there's, there's all these other genres too. You can kind of like, like what's going on with like heavy metal mm-hmm. is like, are there like screaming girls going to heavy metal concerts and passing out? It's like a it's lot like, of dudes actually. I think. It's kind of like a hyper masculine thing. Yeah, it's it's like masculine. dudes being dudes or exploring their like, you know, deep wild pagan masculinity of like yeah. the Vikings of just like, um, there's kind of like a Luciferian thing going on. There's like the satanic thing going on with heavy mm-hmm. metal that they can play into. And like, again, like that's a mythology. Yeah. If you're like satanic, um, doing the devil horns or even dressing up as monsters, they're right. in heavy metal bands to do that. Yeah. Again, it's archetypal. You're tapping yeah. into a mythology. Tapping into like, the underworld. Yeah. And there's like this darkness to it. Doesn't need to be pretty. Yeah. It's all like black, black clothes, sometimes mm-hmm. like black makeup. Yeah. And intense, the music, it like listen to the, just the sonic nature mm-hmm. of it. You go from something like light and pretty and seductive from the pop songstress to like some intense type of death metal. And that actually, and this is an appropriate name actually, because it feels like it is bringing the underworld forward. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people like want to experience as well. It's why it's so popular. Right. So we don't have time to get into the rest of the genres or the rest of the artists, but you can, <laughs> you can see what we're getting at, which is that the the archetype of the band is very much the archetype of the God. It's tied in with all these other aesthetic principles, all this other art, and probably more so than any other industry. The music industry really synthesizes all these various aesthetic, mythological, narrative, sensation elements into one neat package but ultimately it's still playing on the same psychological machinery it's still playing on the human nature it's still playing on a collective unconscious a collective archetypal realm that's why music is universal it's not like you have to learn what rock music is to enjoy it it's like you play it in china and people get it you play it in africa people get it that's what's so interesting If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash goldenshadoworg. If you'd like to keep up to date with our projects, attend one of our live events, or work one-on-one with myself or Aaron, head to www.goldenshadow.org. Thanks for listening. See you later.